Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Coach's Approach podcast, where we take an inside look at the coaching world. As always, I'm your host, George Gresco. This week, we have launched our brand new website, thecoachesapproach.com. Please check it out. It has all, everything that you need to know about the Coach's Approach podcast, from guests that have been on the show, from information about myself. You can find our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook handles there. Uh, so please check that out. Uh, today's episode from Sergeant to Sidelines is brought to you by Coach's Dry Rub, the All-American Rub, laid on thick until it sticks, Anthony's Family Restaurant in Eastlake on the corner of 91 and Vine Street, uh, where together is our favorite place to be, open for dine-in, carry-out, and curbside pickup. The Well Barn Grill in Kirtland, come on in for some great food and a great time. Last but not least, G&G Printing. Get your custom apparel printed in seven to 10 days or less. Dominate your design. Today in the coach's booth, we have Coach Chris Roberts, the defensive coordinator at Jonathan Alder High School. Coach, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. I'm uh, yeah. honored to be here. You've had some legends on here, and then I was like, <laughs> and then me. <laughs> so I'll take it, but whatever. Absolutely. And that's why we started the podcast, just trying to get all of our uh, – the stories and uh, how coaches kind of got their start in coaching to where they're at now. So it's pretty cool. But coach, you have had a pretty amazing story to me when you sent everything to me. It's a rags to riches story, essentially, uh, from you not graduating high school uh, to living the party life to becoming a U.S. Marine. Uh, and now you're a teacher and a coach. Uh, but I want to start off kind of with your high school um, time, uh, your high school days to start. Um, you were, you, you've told me that you were never a great student. You didn't, weren't a straight A student. Uh, and again, you failed your senior year of high school that you mentioned to me and you didn't even play sports your senior year. Can you talk a little bit about what was happening at that time in your life? Uh, yeah. Um, kind of that cliche rebellious stage or whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, my, I had great family. It wasn't like I had like a rough upbringing or anything like that. Uh, my okay. mom and dad, they had me actually in high school. I mean, they're from uh, the Hilltop, which is the west side of Columbus, Ohio area. And uh, they had me in between the junior and senior year of high school. Um, so they never got married or anything, but I mean, it wasn't like a bad lifestyle or anything. I just kind of went through this rebellious stage um, and really kind of started, got a job. Part of the, my high school experience, I was in this marketing program where kind of got released half of the day so you could go to work. And um, I was under the impression that I could, like, I didn't care about my grades. I was, maybe I was a dumb kid, but I think it was more just a lack of effort, you know? And uh, I knew that if I skipped my last class of the day, I could get to my restaurant job when they <laughs> opened. So I was like, well, I don't care about, you know, getting an F in that class. Like, I don't care about my GPA. I was kind of stupid about it. So I would skip my last class of the day and uh, start doing this uh, in my senior year, but I really kind of, fell in love with that job in my junior year when I got it but uh working at the restaurant and I stopped going to class I would just went right. to work and <laughs> worked my butt off I, I would work um the restaurant I worked at they, they opened at 11 it's a national chain restaurant they open at 11 I'd go in at 11 I was the host with the most I would go in there and open up um work until about three o'clock and then I would take a little hour break get something to eat go into the kitchen which was my primary job sure work that sure. till about 9 p.m and then I'd go back and finish closing as a host up in the front of the house stuff. And I, I would work like 11 to 11, 11 to midnight almost every day. Right. Uh, and so I started really getting into just work and making money and having a good time. And with that, um, 
the restaurant crew I worked with kind of started hanging out with them a little bit more. And they're all early 20s, mid 20s kind of people. And here I am, some high school senior who's trying to fit in with them. And so I started getting into bad stuff, partying with them a little bit and start drinking what I was exposed to and then going out to bars and it was a bad day, um, but I was having fun. So I wasn't even worried about sports anymore. I wasn't worried about school necessarily. I mean, I still went. Sometimes I never went to sleep. I was just an all-nighter as a senior, which yeah. looking back, I'm like, I can't believe it. And now I'm a teacher. I was like, this but it is what it is. I, I, I actually use that as part of my, you know, thing that I tell I tell students. I, I told that in my uh, interview when I got my teaching job where I'm at now, or being in high school as a teacher, it's real, I love my job. And I told them, I'm very honest about it. Like, that's one of the reasons I wanted to get into teaching is because right. I was one of those kids kind of, I guess, fell through the cracks. Wasn't like a bad situation, just made bad decisions. So I'm not the teacher that, it's like, hey, I got straight A's and magna cum laude right. or whatever that is. I can't even spell that. But um, it just, uh, it was a unique situation that I was in. And uh, I'm trying to use that to help kids down the road now. So. Absolutely. And now, and looking back on it now, coach, through the things that you went through in high school, how important is it, like high school sports, how important is that in a young person's life? Yeah, I, I think it's, 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 crucial for high school kids whether it's sports or just other extracurricular activities um you know whether it's like band or choir or drama club whatever yeah. I mean, obviously i'm going to push sports if, if kids want to do those things but i think it's so important to hit i mean here in ohio we have those and most states have those like social and emotional learning standards and they kind of get swept under the rug it seems like and i think extracurricular activities are a great way to hit those um getting kids interacting with each other um, we live in this day and age where kids don't talk to each other. They text, <laughs> DM, and all that. Yeah. So, I mean, having these kids actually having to work together face-to-face, I mean, it, it's hard to make that happen in the classroom as a teacher. Um, right. Everything's virtual. I mean, as and I'm only in my second year as a teacher because I'm getting a, kind of a late start in everything in, in my professional life. I have not handed out a piece of paper all year. Uh, everything's virtual. Everything's digital everything's, now. <laughs> yeah. So I don't need to, um, which I'm great with that because I don't have to like grade papers. Sure. It's kind of all in the system. But it, it's just part of the the kids are like that too. They don't interact with each other. Right. So I think, you know, playing sports, getting in those extracurricular activities is crucial. Um, not just for those social emotional like kind of things, but just learning how to talk to each other. Like right. kids don't know how to have a face-to-face conversation. They don't understand that most communication is nonverbal communication. Like, you know, being sarcastic and kind of showing those different kind of emotions. It doesn't matter what you're saying. If you're giving right. your a different kind of, you know, your posture is bad and you're not actually showing yourself being into something, that plays a factor in the communication. So right. I think it's huge. I try and push it in the classroom. Um, I do a fun activity where I have students and I actually, I've done this with position groups too, but I do the, uh, the peanut butter and jelly activity where I pull out <laughs> peanut butter, bread, jelly. I'm like, all right, tell me how to make a sandwich. And I do exactly what they say. And right. I end up with peanut butter all over my hands and stuff. Cause I'm like, all right, scoop the peanut butter out. And I'm like, all right, and I scoop it out of my hand. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, you didn't tell me to use a, like, it's important. Like, right. Yes. Of, the small details. Absolutely. And I'll, I do that in the classroom. The kids, like, they love it. And I'm like, this is why it's important to know how to talk and know what you want to yeah. say. Because if not, like, you can give some misinformation by mistake. Sure. And so I think sports and extra creepers are a huge part of that especially sports though. I mean, I'll be biased because we're coaches. Right. <laughs> right. 
Um, but learning that camaraderie with each other, I think is the other big part of that. Um, something that I, I got when I was in the Marine Corps and, and, and I kind of got a little bit of that when I was in high school, but definitely in the Marine Corps. And I would love to see that kind of those camaraderie moments happen through sports too. Sure. Coach, you, you lived that party life for about four years, essentially you were saying, and, um, what kind of, you mentioned a little bit already, what kind of led you into that? Cause four years, that's a long time to live that kind of lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's kind of started my senior year. Um, I, I definitely took advantage of the situation. I, I, my senior year of high school, I moved in with my father. Um, yeah. It was, I lived with my mom is the typical live with mom with dad every other weekend, you know, visitation in the summers kind of thing. Right. Um, but going through that rebellious stage, I knew that, my dad, he, he's an amazing man. Uh, I, I hope that I can be, you know, half the father he is. He, he's done amazing stuff. We talk almost daily. Um, but I definitely, and as a senior in high school, going through that rebellious stage, I knew that he worked second and third shift and worked right. a lot. So I took advantage of it. I moved in with my dad. I was like, all right, cool. Nobody's at home at night. Nobody knows if I'm going to come home. <laughs> so I took advantage of that. And then that's where it started my senior year, just hanging out with those coworkers. Right. They would take me out to bars and I'm with the restaurant crew. So they're like, oh, they're not going to bring a minor in. Well, yeah, they did. Right. <laughs> they sure did. And so that kind of led into um, just continuing that life, hanging out, drinking and doing stuff I shouldn't be doing. Right. Um, and then I actually ended up uh, being a DJ for a while. So I was like, well, if I'm going to be in this party life, right, you might as well work while I do it. Right. So right. I was like a house DJ at this uh, place in the brewery district here in like the southern part of downtown Columbus. Uh, I used to do house parties and all that. I was like, I'm going to be partying. Why not get paid and play the music I want to hear? Right. And so that didn't like, that didn't help me get out of it by any means. It kind of dove me into it even, even more. Sure. Uh, but so, yeah, I just, I did that for a while and I was working other jobs. I, I still worked a couple different call centers, um, worked for like Verizon wireless. If you called and complained about your bill back in the day, back <laughs> when it was like, you know, free nights and weekends, like you had to pay extra for that kind of thing. Right. So you would call and be like, hey, how come my bill's so much? I'm like, well, you talked on the phone all night. You don't have free nights and weekends. Like kids nowadays don't know anything about that. Like, what do you mean nights and weekends? I'm yeah, like, right. <laughs> you could make a phone call past like 7 p.m. It's so funny you, you say that free. because I, I haven't heard that nights and weekends things in a long <laughs> time. That's funny. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was still working and, and whatnot, but uh, all my money was going like – I was barely paying my bills, if that, just because I was too busy trying to yeah. go out and have a good time. And it was just loser decisions, basically, Absolutely. is what I was doing. And uh, it took a while to get out of it. It was four years. I was just, it, it, it took a, some couple things happened in my life where I was like, man, that's probably not the best thing to do. Right. And that kind of reminds me of a quote that is, he's an old WWE wrestler named Mark Merrill. He would always say, I show you, I'll show you your, or you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Something along the lines of that. And that kind of remind me of that. Um, oh, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. That's, yeah. that's, I was hanging out with people that if I, if I would have stayed in that lifestyle, that man, I don't, you know, the cliche, but I don't know where I would have ended up like, right. as a loser for the rest of my yeah. life. Who right. knows? But after about four years of that party lifestyle, you finally said enough is enough and you joined the United States Marine Corps. Um, what made you decide that the Marine Corps was the right thing for you to get into? Yeah, so that was a pretty crazy uh, event. So not being able to like pay my bills the way I'm supposed to, living that party lifestyle, uh, 
I had a, like a relationship that, you know, we lived together and she moved out and just things got really bad. Sure. And so um, I wasn't like a health freak by any means, like sitting here talking about, you know, doing all this crazy drinking and partying, but I decided to go on a run one day. Like I was just like, I got to clear my head. Like yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on. So I went on a jog um, and as I'm jogging, I kind of just jogged past the recruiting station, which I had driven past every day of my life. Yeah. And I kind of looked over, I saw it and I was like, damn that's my sign. Like there was something about it. Like one of those like epiphany moments. I was like, man, I got to do something. And this is probably the right move right here. Like I had kind of tried to get away from that, but every time you try, it's kind of like you just said, you, you know, you, whoever your friends are, that's your future. I'd try to get away, but I'd stay right. kind of with friends and you get drugged back into it. So yeah, I, uh, and I had worked with some uh, former Marines, uh, some of my jobs and uh, a girl that was in part of my little group of friends that used to party with me all the time. Um, she had a boyfriend at the time who was part of uh, this um, Marine Corps Reserve Unit, Lima 325. And uh, they're kind of a storied reserve unit. I think they, like the most kind of decorated reserve unit or something like that. I can't remember the, but I know they kind of got after it back in like 02, 03, right when uh, the war on terror kind of kicked off. Sure. So met him and some of his buddies, they would come out and party with us a little bit or whatever. And uh, listen to them talk, listen to some of the former Marines I knew uh, through work to talk about stuff. And I was kind of as I was passing that recruiting station, it all kind of hit me real quick. I was like, yeah, like I should go in there and, and, and see if I can change my life that way. Right. Went into the recruiting office and knew I wanted to go Marine Corps infantry. I was like, you know, if I'm going to go, you know, go big or go home kind of thing. Right, absolutely. So, yeah, I was like, I'll go Marine Corps infantry, walked in, right past, you know, the, the Army and Navy and Air Force guy. Like, hey, what do you need? How can I help you? I'm like, nope, I know where I'm going. <laughs> um, went straight to the guy, talked to the, the in, you know, 22-year-old. You know, he's usually dealing with 18, 19 year old kind of kids. I go in, it's like, this is what I want, dude. Like, this is what it is. Um, and even that was a battle. Uh, it's crazy to think back, like I try, even trying to join the Marine Corps because of the decisions I'd already made in high school started to impact me right then. Um, right. Most people, you walk in, you can join, you know, during that time, this was 2006, you can just join the Marine Corps right now. You go in, be like, hey, I want to join. You're gone within a week. Right. Um, because even though I, I didn't pass my senior year of high school, I went back and got my high school diploma through this uh, thing called Focus Learning Academy is what it's called now. I think it was called like Southwest Learning Center at the time. It was like a computer lab. You showed up, whatever classes you need to meet the state requirements, you just got on the computer, got after it. I even cheated that through that. Like I <laughs> figured a way to cheat my way through to get my actual high school diploma. So it wasn't a GED, but um, because of the way it was set up, the Marine Corps kind of put me there like a tier system when you try and enlist. And I was like the bottom of the barrel on the tier system. Sure. So even trying to get in the Marine Corps, they were like, well, like every week for about four months, it was like every week, like, oh, we'll try next week because they have yeah. a quota they're going to meet and all that. So even that was kind of like, man, like I almost gave up on that because right. not working regular job. Like I kind of stopped working because I thought I was going to leave. I didn't know when I was going to leave. It was kind of up in the air. And, uh, but I, I stayed resilient with it. I was like, look, I want to do this. Um, and finally, uh, it was, a, I remember clearly it was a Monday. I was kind of frustrated about not joining and not being able to actually ship out and go to boot camp and all that and get started. And so I called the recruiter guy and I was like, listen, dude, it was like late on a Monday. I was like, if I don't go this week, I'm out. Like I'm, I'm, I've been trying, like I got to make a decision, pull the trigger on something. And I had kind of been trying real hard. I'd wrote all these different like high ups in the recruiting uh, offices and stuff and nothing happened. I called that guy on that Monday. We'd been working it for like four months. 
And the, on Tuesday morning, he called me. He was like, hey, I'm picking you up, taking you to the MEPS area where they do all the, like, the testing and stuff. And then uh, you're shipping out on Wednesday. I was like, oh, crap. Is this, I just had to threaten to leave. And you like, done that four months ago. But uh, they were able to make it happen. And, uh, easily the best decision I ever made. I mean, and it happened quick, which is probably the best way for me to go, too. It was one of those kind of rip the Band-Aid thing. Like, right. I'm going to get out of this lifestyle. Then let's go right now. And so sure. it happened quick, real quick. Right. And then, you, Coach, you, you've served eight years in the Marine Corps. You were deployed three different times. Uh, two deployments in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. Uh, you were a platoon sergeant, weapons instructor, and a recruit trainer. What would you say uh, something that you um, implemented in your coaching career that you learned while in the military? Yeah, there's a lot of things that, I mean, and a lot of coaches will use some of these things with different verbiage and whatnot. Um, first and foremost, I think like the whole like kind of kiss, keep it simple and stupid. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the big things in the infantry was like keep things simple so that everybody can execute. Right. Um, one thing I like to tell the guys I coach, it's one of those, um, like if you want to do those high speed, low drag, really cool kind of things, the really right. advanced things, you have to be super efficient at the basics. Like you can't do advanced things in the military until you know how to do the basic stuff. Right. And I tell the kids all the time, like we apply that to football, like, oh, you want to run this really cool route concept. But if our quarterback can't get a basic read, then how are we going to throw, you know, double post with a backside, whatever, like, <laughs> If he can't read a basic like smash concept, then we're not going to go crazy with it yet. And so, you know, if you got to keep it simple and then you can kind of build off of that. Sure. Uh, that's like the one of the, probably the biggest thing is just keeping it simple. But in order to keep it simple, a lot of that structure and planning, um, my time in the Marine Corps, uh, my first two deployments, I was part of our uh, operations section. Um, and that was kind of a, a, a crazy, I joined the Marine Corps, go through all my training, and for whatever reason, I got it selected and it sounds really cool, but it's not that cool. I got selected for this advanced infantry training. Hmm. Um, and all I learned how to do was like operate a, like basically like a mini tank. It's called an LAV. It's got wheels on it and really big gun on it. Right. I thought right. at first, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Advanced infantry. <laughs> it's not as cool as it sounds. Uh, <laughs> even like the name of the unit, it's called light armor reconnaissance. And everybody's like recon. I'm like, eh, it's not recon. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> um, but so I got there and uh, they told us when I graduated the advanced infantry stuff, they told us like, hey, this group of guys, like you're not deploying because the unit you're going to, we showed up on a Friday, that unit was leaving. The, uh, the Marine Corps was doing this one month desert training you would do before you actually ship out. Okay. And they were all leaving for their one month desert training on like the, the following Monday. So like, we weren't going to be on that deployment. Right. That's what we were told. So that Monday comes around, they all leave. It's skeleton crew kind of hanging back. And me and a good buddy of mine at the time, um, we were like the top two guys in our class going through the advanced infantry thing. They were like, hey, you two, come with us. And we're like, all right. Didn't think anything of it. <laughs> we get kind of sheltered around, go here, get this gear. And we're kind of like, people are like really taking care of us. And every, all these other guys we were buddies with kind of doing their uh, separate thing. And by Wednesday of that week, they told us to get in this back of this Humvee. We're like, okay, with all of our gear, we don't know what's going on. And they mm -hmm. dropped us off in the middle of the desert. And they were like, hey, we, we like reported into this major, which as a small little E2 private first class, here's this high ranking officer. I'm like, what is going on? And they were like, hey, you guys are with us in the operations section. You're deploying with us in about six weeks. But for now, you're on this one month desert training. Let's wow. go. Wow. I was like, oh, what, what are we doing? 
<laughs> uh, didn't even get a chance to like call family and stuff for about two weeks after that. Like they were like, yeah. "What are you doing?" I was like, uh, "I'm deploying soon." So <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was pretty crazy. It happened really quick, but um, that structure and planning aspect of it kind of got me prepared for that. So sure, no matter sure. what gets thrown at you, as long as there's a good plan in place. Right. I learned that really quick. Like, okay, deal with adversity. How do you deal with it? Keep things simple, structure and planning, making sure you have a plan and kind of going from there with it. So and the other part of that was just not being afraid to ask questions. That's probably as a yeah. coach, the number one thing I learned in the Marine Corps. I would I was asking questions. Hey, how do I do this? What do you want me to do here? How do I I was learning? And as a coach, same thing. Um, when I started coaching, I was in South Carolina, uh, my last two years in the Marine Corps, uh, I was stationed at Paris Island as a weapons instructor and wanted to get into coaching. And so I got a hold of the local high school was like, and I just, I asked, I said, Hey, can I come out and coach? Like, I don't know how this process works. Right. Never done it before. How do I do it? And I started, I actually, I coached pole vault there first because before I found fast food, I was a pole vaulter back <laughs> in the day, but, uh, so I coached it a couple for a couple of years, but got started off with coaching track and then got with the football coach was like, Hey, can I come on? He was like, sweet. Yeah. It was a small school it would be equivalent to like an Ohio kind of like D four, maybe kind of school. Yeah. And uh, he was like, yeah, sure. We'll take volunteers. Absolutely. He's like, you're the running back coach. And I was like, uh, sure. Let's, and I would just ask questions. We were a split back beer team. And I'm like, how do we do this? What do you want them to do? Right. I, I ask questions. And I've done that all through my career. Um, I coached Otterbein for a year and they, they kind of got me. I was <laughs> Coach Dalp and Coach Moore, the head coach and defense coordinator, Otterbein, amazing guys. And uh, I was able to be a student assistant there. And I would ask questions like, how does this work? And they were like, hey, we want, I was like, I want to help with recruiting. Like, that'd be awesome to kind of deal with that. Yeah. And all I did was ask, like, I want to help. And they were like, cool, you're in charge of out of state recruiting. They didn't tell <laughs> me, I didn't know any better. I didn't come up in this football world at this point that Division Three doesn't offer scholarships. Right. And Otterbein's a really expensive private university in Westerville, Ohio. So I'm calling kids from all over the country, like, hey, do you want to spend a lot of money? And I can't give you any to help out. Come play ball for us. And by the way, we play against like Mount Union, one of the best yeah, teams oh, yeah. in the nation. Like that's one of the I think I think that's one of the hardest divisions of football at any yeah. level is the OAC between John Carroll, Mount well, Union. Absolutely. I don't know. It's crazy. And so I'm like, hey, I, I asked and they were like, Yeah, absolutely, let's do it go try and get kids to come here. I was like, how am I supposed to do that? I didn't know I could get scholarships and all that. Just asking, asking questions. Like what else can I do? Sure. Um, and staying busy. That's the one thing with the Marine Corps. Um, I mean, if you don't want to get in trouble, stay busy. Yeah. Uh, and so always find work to do. Uh, I learned that really quick there. If you're not finding work, somebody's going to find work for you and you're right. probably going to like the job that they give you. Right. So find something yourself. And I'm, I'm still like that. I mean, I've been blessed to be able to coach under some amazing guys. Uh, the head coach of Owen Tangy Liberty, Steve Hale. Um, he is easily like my, my mentor. I've gone to him with, for, with so many things during my time coaching for him and, and since I've left. Uh, and he has, you know, I asked him questions like, hey, what can I do? And he's an amazing source to have. Uh, another buddy of mine uh, is the head coach at Granville High School, West Schrader. And he, same thing, I'll call him all the time when I first got my offensive coordinator first position doing that at Northland high school. I hit him up. He's, he's in a great coach. He just got the uh, D three coach of the year up in that area. And he wow. was like, I said, Hey, like what, how do you do this? How do you do that? I'm like, I, I don't know. Somebody else does. So right. why not get it from someone else? 
I mean, I, that's not doing, you know, justice to my kids that I'm trying to coach. If I don't seek out the people I can to get the information. So never be afraid to ask for those questions and, and, and see what you get out of it and see what you can pull. Um, and then I think just having that, that the drive to do those kind of things too. Uh, I didn't get it. You don't get a day off in the, in the Marine Corps. I mean, right. going to a month deployment. It's not like I can wake up and be like, you know, I just don't feel like going on patrol today. <laughs> just not feeling it. You know, I'm just going to stay home. Like that doesn't happen. You don't have a choice. And so that kind of, it's a forced work ethic, but it, it sticks with you. I mean, right. I never, I didn't call off for one day in eight years because I just wasn't allowed to. And so right. I go into, you know, teaching in football, like, I'm going to be there every day. Like it's, it's part of what the job is. Like sure. I've been in, and that's, I've been in worse situations than I am now. So right. <laughs> we're good. Like this is a cakewalk. I love it. So having that work ethic, which typically, and, and for me at least has turned into not just a work ethic, but a passion. Like I, right. I'm passionate about what I do. You know, the, the, the old saying of like, if you love what you do, you never go to work or whatever. Yeah, like hundred percent. I love going to football. I mean, we yeah. do liftings uh, at Jonathan Alder at six in the morning. And my wife, sometimes she's like, you're going to go. Like I was on spring break because I teach at a different school. Our spring break was different than what theirs was. Right. So they're on spring break, no lifting. Cool. I still had school all that, that week. Right. I was on spring break last week, but they're lifting. So I got up that first Monday. My wife's like, what are you doing? Well, you're on spring break this week. I said, yeah, but lifting's at six. Yeah. She's like, are you, you're crazy. I'm like, you're, I, I know I am crazy, but I, I love what I do. So just being passionate about things. And I, I got that passion from the in work ethic from being in the Marine Corps. I mean, I didn't, I definitely didn't have it before the Marine Corps. Right. <laughs> so, right. I mean, I, I learned it from there and then, and I wouldn't change a bit a thing about it. I mean, having those things, learning to just, I don't know everything. Right. So try and learn everything I possibly can. Right. Coach, being in the Marines, you guys go through some extensive physical and mental training. Uh, us coaches say it all the time, the most conditioned team's going to win, and the team that win, um, uh, has the least mental mistakes is usually going to win the game also. Are there things that you do with your team uh, over the summer, mental and physical, uh, to prepare them for the season? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's going to be similar to a lot of people say they do. Uh, the whole, like, kind of crawl, walk, run thing, I think is really important. Sure. Um, teaching kids, you know, I want to slow it down and teach you. I'm a big person on, like, know, know your why. Why are you right. doing something? Um, that's a great book. Simon Sinek's, uh, you know, Start With Why is an amazing book. Right. And it's not just, like, my drive for why I'm coaching, but also why are we doing this play in the sure. way that we're doing it? You know, you can run inside zone. There's a crap ton of ways to do it. So why are we doing it the way we are? Why am I asking you to take a six inch step this way and whatever? And so I think that's the the first thing um, that I've is we did that in the Marine Corps. You know, we would train. We're, sh we're shooting live rounds eventually during training. So right. I can't just give an 18 year old kid who's been in the Marine Corps for two months and be like, here's a magazine of ammo. Um, let's go to this range and see what happens. Like, that'd be a bad day. That's not a good way to go about it. So being able to like, you know, I like to, it's the whole chalk talk walk is kind of the way I talk about it. We're going to chalk it out on a board. We're going to draw it up. This is how things are going to go. We do that in the Marine Corps. We'd say, all right, we're going to do some room clearing. This guy is going to do this. This guy's going to go here. That's how we get our sectors of fire. Same thing. 
Um, I, I love having those, you know, seven on one kind of moments here in Ohio. We have those, you know, one coach for every like seven kids in the off season where you can right. talk, talk and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, have a sign up sheet, get my seven kids and let's walk through this stuff. So we chalk, you know, do all the chalk talk stuff. And then I'll have the kids talk about it back to me. I want them to teach me before we can get on the field and do stuff. I love to be able to, Hey, I'm going to chalk it up and show it to you. Now I want you to talk me through it. Can you teach me what we're supposed to do? Because if you can teach me, then you obviously understand it. Right. And then we'll get into the actual walkthrough. All right. Now that, and I said, walkthrough, not go after and go out there and get after it. Let's right. go out and walk through it. So you can now see like the spacing, like, Oh, I thought this guy was going to be really close on this rub route, but I'm going to have to really bust my butt to get in that position to create that rub or whatever it is, you know, defensively like, Oh man, I, I have to you know bump number two and then try and get underneath the number one. Man, that's a lot of room to cover. It didn't seem like it was going to be that much. But yeah. It was on a dry race board kid. Like now we're in space. Let's let's walk through it. And so we can get that understanding of it. Um, you can't just hit the ground running. Sometimes I think it's really important that you get all of that, you know, that time, that mental preparing going on, in the off season, you know, right now, this is a perfect time for that. We don't have spring ball here in Ohio. Um, we had spring ball when I coached in South Carolina and right. personally, and maybe I'll get stoned by the coaching community for this, but uh, <laughs> I, I didn't like spring ball. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, we, we can sit here and all these coaches are like, Oh, I love multi-sport athletes. And then like, well, I want spring ball. And I want my kids at spring ball. Right. Well, that kid plays lacrosse or baseball or runs track. So you want to take them away from the multi-sport and right. then if they don't show up, you know, there's coaches out there that, well, we had spring ball. And I don't know why that kid's not here because yeah. he's a lacrosse kid. Right. Like, <laughs> he might actually go to play college lacrosse, like let him go do it. Right. So personally me, I don't know, spring ball, like it sounds great, but we, we, I just don't see the advantage of it. Like I, kids I, don't look at the sports. And I agree with you. Football is a long enough season as it is with all the summer and then through August. You know, it, it's a long season. We don't need spring ball. I'm sorry. I'm with yeah, you. Like, this is time for coaches to learn how to be better coaches. Like, I don't care who you are. You know, if you, you won a state championship last year, and the reason you won that state championship last year is because you try to get better at something along the way. Absolutely. And you're not going to be able to, if you're just like, oh, well, we do what we do. Is it good enough? Because right. here in Ohio, only seven teams go home happy on the bus ride. Sure. So are you, are you sure you're okay with that? You know, right. if that's your goal is to just be okay at something. I want to be great at something. And so during the springtime, instead of worrying about spring ball, I was listening to the, you know, the coaches approach stuff, going to glacier clinics, sure. you know, getting on the Google or the uh, glacier drive and just digging through everything. If I can get, you know, the, the urban Meyer used to say it, all the coaching clinics here, if I can get that one little nugget from something, yeah. well, then I'll take it. I'll, I'll take as many nuggets as I can get to make me a better coach. So that's what this time is for. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I think just, taking the time to, to really get through that. And then I think that also leads to that muscle memory. Yeah. That's probably the, that is, is a huge thing that we did in the Marine Corps. It's, it's muscle memory. Um, when, you know, things go crazy, your muscle memory will take over. Uh, that's what we call them immediate action drills in the Marine Corps. Um, you know, you get contacts for, you know, you're on a patrol and people start shooting at you from one side or the other. Right. Hey, we got contact, right. Everybody knows their immediate action drill of how we're going to react to that. Sure doing that in the football, like your muscle memory. Like if I want you to tackle a certain way, 
whether we should talk about it, slowly go through whatever your you know coaching points are for tackling properly. If I want you to like, you know, squeeze the knees cheek to cheek, you know, drive for five, whatever those kind of, whatever your little things are, those are your immediate, that's muscle memory. The kid right. should be able to just naturally do that on a Friday night. You don't just get, they don't, we just don't put them out on the field and expect them right. to do that's his. There's a long process ahead. <laughs> yeah. And I think in that process, I mean, it starts now. And a lot of people like people that aren't involved in football, I, I wasn't like for a long time, I wasn't in football. So I didn't understand, like, you know, it's not just August 1st, let's go two days started. There's right. so much more leading up to that. That's, you know, that, that I hate that August, like it's all summer. It really is. It is. And so teaching that muscle memory, you got to know what you're doing in the moment so you can play fast, so you can react fast. Uh, I'm a big Jocko Wilnick fan. I don't know if you ever like listen to some of his oh, stuff. Yeah. Um, so like our, our kind of our defensive little like thing is default aggressive. How can I be default aggressive? Well, if I have the muscle memory down to just be able to go and I don't have to think about it, that's what we're going to do. So I think just doing those things that I learned in the Marine Corps, so like kind of slowly working our way up to it. I mean, I had a buddy who uh, the deployment before I got to that unit, uh, he ended up getting a, a bronze star with valor because he saved a couple of people's lives. So they got ambushed and he has you know, no recollection of it. Um, though I haven't talked to him in a while, but like when I found out the story of it, me had talked about it. He didn't remember what he'd done. He just knows like they got ambushed. Some IED went off. And the next thing, you know, he knows he's in this building, like kind of assessing a guy that got shot. And they're like, what do you mean you don't remember? You did this, 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 and this. And it was all muscle memory. It was the immediate action. He, he Muscles literally took over and did what he was training to do. And so, like, in football, like, I should be able to do that. If I'm squeezing down on a tackle who's, you know, down blocking, like, I should naturally know, like, okay, well, I'm expecting this kick out now. Like, right. you have to think about it. It's happening. Just let it happen. So just that was the I think the the biggest thing, and I don't break it down like that for the kids, but right. I'll tell them sometimes like this is why we are doing this. I want you to do. I was an O line coach for my first two years at Liberty, and like get really good at the, the six inch step, get really good at these little tiny things, because then when people are trying to stunt and blitz, it doesn't matter. You you know what you're doing. Just now you can just go with the flow and be really you know fluid with it. Absolutely. Coach, this is one of the one of the tougher questions that I had on the list. Uh, Coach, you were while you were deployed over in Iraq and Afghanistan, was there something that you thought about that kind of kept you going each and every day? Because I, I know it's not all sunshine and rainbows over there. Was there just something that kind of you thought about that kept you going? Yeah, um, my first deployment was just like family and friends, um, you know, knowing that I was you know there for my own reason. Like if if I wasn't there. I'd be in that crazy party life. Who knows what I'd be doing? Um, so, I, and I'm a big family guy. So just, that was the big one. Um, after my first deployment, uh, I met my son's mother. And when she had my son, she actually gave birth to him. And then like two weeks later, I left for my second deployment. Oh, and wow. so uh, for me, it was like, he was my drive at that point. Um, she would send me pictures of him in the mail and stuff like that. And so that was like my big one. Um, and then th that was actually the reason I originally re-enlisted after my first four years. Um, I went on my third deployment uh, and re-enlisted during that or the lead up to that. And it was really with him in mind. I thought 
you know what, if I can do a whole career out of this and retire at 42, he can get free college. Like he gets all these benefits out of it. Um, but then I went on that third deployment and he's a little bit older. Uh, he was like two and a half at that point too. And I was like, man, I, I just missed him too much. I was like, this. So that's when I kind of, during that deployment, um, which was my most active deployment, that was my Afghan deployment. Um, and of course the, the, the guys around, you. um, I mean, it's easy to get complacent. Um, the, the big saying that we always see, in, uh, there's signs up in every military post, um, when you're getting ready to leave and go out on patrol, it always says like complacency kills. Um, so just really being on top of your game for the guy next to you. Um, but that third deployment was, uh, I made some of the, my closest friends during that deployment and that platoon of guys, we had a very unique situation that we were in. Uh, we were part of a personal security detail for our battalion commander. Um, and so we, and the battalion commander, he, he was an active guy. So we got it, got after it quite a bit. Yeah. And, um, he, he just knowing that like, if I don't do this the right way all the time, like somebody's might die from that. Right. Um, that was enough motivation in itself. And then, you know, knowing that if I don't do this the right way, I might not go home to my son. Right. Like that was the other one. So, but you know, between him and my buddies that I was with, I still talk to you to this day. Um, like the majority of them. In fact, one of them was just, he hit me up a couple of weeks ago. He's like, Hey, I'm about to go through uh, this uh, place I'm staying at. It's called Grove city, Ohio. I'm like, bro, that's where I'm from. He's like, Oh, it's like, that's like 35 minutes from me. He's like, Oh, so got to meet him uh, for dinner one night and hadn't seen him in years. And you know, just the camaraderie that I got with those guys, we, we saw, you know, kind of formed that during that third deployment I was on. And that was the big one. And, and just knowing that, you got to be vigilant. Everything you do every day. Um, when we were doing our turnover, we had a guy who wasn't being like, it's hard at the end of that eight month deployment. It's hard to stay on it all the time. Yeah. And, uh, we had a moment where a guy like we're on patrol, new area, me and a buddy of mine. Um, we were the only ones from our unit that was part of that patrol. We were attached to this other group that was getting ready to leave, kind of seeing how they did things and checking out the, the area and whatnot. And this guy just like walked right past some wires that were sticking out of the ground. I'm like, uh, bro, what are those wires? He's like, oh, no big deal. I'm like, you sure? I'm, you know, we're new and you know, yeah. we'd only been in, in Afghan at that point for a couple of weeks. He's like, I'm sure it is. We'll come to find out it was an IED. And we're like, hey, like, dude, like, what the heck? Right. He, the guy was checked out a little bit and, and <laughs> places he can kill. Yeah. And so that's one of the things too, like kind of going to the previous question, like making sure the guys know, like, we're going to do this, like what we do. And if you just take one play off, yeah. that can kill the momentum. Sure. Um, it was really big in the trenches. I mean, I, I loved coaching O-line. Like I said, I, I was a skinny guy before fast food, so I never played <laughs> O-line or anything. But I, that was by far my, the most fun I've had coaching was the O-line. And at first, I was like, man, this is – it's like you're working like a two-yard area. That's it. You know, receivers like, oh, they're having all this fun. And we're just <laughs> take a six-inch step. All right, do it again. It's like, what the heck? But – you can't be complacent because those little tiny things matter. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, that, that was the biggest drive. I mean, family, my son, but then making sure all of us came home was, was a, a huge drive. And that's why, I mean, I love football with a passion. Yeah. Nobody's going to die on a Friday night from, you know, like nobody's getting blown up. Yeah. So life is all right. Sure. 
Coach, give me your coaching career a little bit. Uh, you spent many years at the high school level, as we've talked about already, and you've coached in college, as you mentioned, too. But you have coached um, at Battery Creek High School in South Carolina, Otterbein University, Tangy uh, Liberty High School, Northland High School, Urbana High School, and now you're currently the defensive coordinator at Jonathan Alder High School. What would you say is your best quality as a coach? Um. Funny said, me and my buddy were just talking about like, but it's a head coach at Granville. He was, we were talking a little bit, and he was like, "Man, you're a loyal dude," and I'm like, "Yeah, I am," and I, I, that's just part of that, and the Marine Corps part of me too. But right. you know, if somebody, you know, and I've been around programs, the program I was at in South Carolina, I'm, I was so happy to have the opportunity to get into coaching. Um, in retrospect, I can see like, okay, like there were some things that we probably should have done differently. The way the program is run, probably done differently. I still talk to some of those guys um, and my, the whole staff from all Liberty. Liberty. I mean, we had a really good run. Um, again, the head coach there is a legend. He's going to, he's a hall of fame kind of guy. Steve Hale has been the, the president of the coaches association before, and he, he's a great coach. And we have amazing D coordinators under him. Uh, and this guy, Ed Miley, who's now the head coach at Westville central here in uh, Columbus, Ohio area. Uh, another guy, Jeremy Arn was the D coordinator for there for a while. Um, and being able to just talk to those guys and build a, a relationship with them and still talk to them, still be able to like, just kind of talk about the, the great times we had and that, I mean, we, we had the chance to go into three final fours in a row in D1 football here in Ohio, can never get over that hump to get to that final game. But, you know, building those relationships really should, you know, showed me like that the, the loyalty is where it is in coaching. I mean, there was guys on that staff that, I mean, a handful of guys that head coach material, but they're loyal to that program. Sure. Um, and then I did bounce around the last couple of years, but that was really uh, looking for a teaching job. Uh, that's yeah. the only reason I left Olin's Angel Liberty. I love coaching football, but this is in Texas. I'm not getting paid to coach football. Right. I got to pay the bills. Like my wife was, you know, she supported me. My wife's amazing. And she supported me through college. Um, and yeah, I had my GI bill to pay for college, but we were able to have a kid buy a house and all that kind of stuff because She's really good at what she does. She's an independent business owner. She's a hairstylist. <clears throat> does really well for herself. But it was time for me to kind of make some money too. Yeah. And so looking for a teaching job and getting the opportunity to be an offense coordinator uh, at Northland with uh, Ryan Sayers. So I think he's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, we still talk. And, um, you know, the, the love and passion of coaching, like my wife, a lot of times I talk to all these coaching buddies. She's like, you know, you're talking football again. And I'm like, no, it's not always football. And it's why he actually called me the other day. We were in the truck, me and my wife. And we, me and him talked a little bit about some stuff. And we got off the phone. And she's like, you guys didn't talk about football at all. I'm like, no. Like, it's not always just football. It's, you know, good friends. And then building some loyalty with each other. Um, so bounced around a little bit, trying to find the right spot. Uh, had a teaching job that was in Central Ohio that was – and then able to be an offensive coordinator for him. And then I got a real teaching job at Urbana. And that's why I was able to get out there this past season. Um, and then uh, you know, my best friend who I, I've been friends with this guy before the Marine Corps, uh, he's an Urbana guy, got me, got me out there. And uh, he's on staff there as well. And had a great time with him, but had this opportunity to be a you know, defense coordinator and learn the other side of the ball. Um, and already kind of building that loyalty and relationships uh, with the, the head coach there, uh, Snedeker, he, he's a great guy. Um, 
comes from a, a really good Pick, Pickerington North coaching tree uh, that they got going out there here in Columbus. But uh, I think, yeah, the loyalty, I, I'm bought in. Um, we were kind of talking about this right before you started the, uh, recording this, but like if I'm somewhere, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a walking billboard. I'm all in on what you do. Um, I got the job uh, from to be the D coordinator. And the next day I went to like the local uh, embroidery place and bought myself a pullover <laughs> and a hat. Yeah. Uh, my wife, I mean, she, she, gets kind of upset because now we got like multiple schools of stuff sitting in the closet. Yeah. Um, I'm bought in to the program that I'm coaching at, like whatever, wherever I'm at, that's, that's what matters. And the community, I think is a huge part of that. And I think that's one of the aspect kind of gets overlooked. A lot of places is the community, like their support is what matters. So showing my face, like, uh, we live in Delaware, Ohio. It's about 20 minutes, 25 minutes from uh, Jonathan Alder in Plain City is the city that they're in. But a couple of weeks, like last weekend, I was like, hey, we're going to go to breakfast. She's like, all right. I was like, there's a breakfast place in Plain City. She's like, we're going all the way all the way there for breakfast? I'm like, yeah, I'm part of that community now. So right. we're going there. That's, I think, you know, that's that loyalty, not just to the program, but the community and the school. It's, it's all one big puzzle piece that you got to make sure it all fits. Absolutely. Coach, you've been through much adversity in your life and I'm sure on the field as well. What would you say is the biggest adversity that you have faced? Um, I'd say it's kind of my perception on things uh, has been one of the biggest things I've had to work on. Um, sure. That growth mindset in place, always trying to get better. But I had to adjust to life after the Marine Corps um, and I got out of the Marine Corps on December 24th of 2014, 2012. I can't remember my dates. 2014. Yeah, it was 2014. <laughs> so I got out of the Marine Corps on Christmas Eve, 2014. I started school at Otterbein University on January 11th. So it was like two and a half weeks. And I'm still in like Marine Corps mode. And I'm in class with a bunch of 18-year-old, you know, freshmen in college. I had to kind of adjust my perception of how things operate. I mean, we're right. not in the military anymore. Right. Um, and same thing with coaching. I had only been coaching for two years, get the, the spot at Otterbein. And, and I'm a young coach, even though I'm, you know, in my early thirties at the time, I'm a young coach. I'm just the equivalent of some 23, 24 year old who's new into coaching as well. Right. And so having to adjust from being like, you know, I was, a platoon sergeant in charge of, you know, at one point I was in charge of like something stupid, like $9.3 million worth of military gear. <laughs> and now I'm not, in, I'm, I'm in charge of like a $1,100 huddle kit. Like right. that's it. Like it's a lot different. I have to yeah. change that perception a little bit and kind of make sure I bring myself back down to earth on it uh, and understand that there's guys, like there's some great coaches out there that are younger than me. And I, just have to listen to them. And part of that, I mean, one of the big things that uh, is said in the military, like billet outseeds rank, whatever your job title is, is what's important. Like, and there was numerous times that would happen where somebody that was lower ranking was in charge of you just because of their job title. And they were just better than you it is what it is. Sometimes that happens. Yeah, uh, It's not always the oldest guy out there that's going to, you know, make it to a Super Bowl, Sean McVay. He's yeah. not like super old guy. He's just really freaking good at what he does. Right. So just being understanding of that and that perception of, you know, adjusting to, to life after the Marine Corps, um, 
part of that was like language <laughs> when <Yeah. laughs> in the military it's a lot of foul language being used um i remember like the first day of, of class, my very first class ever sitting there and we had like read something and out of bunch of small schools so there was like, like 20 of us in that class or whatever and uh they were like, anybody, you know, what'd you think about this passage you had to read or whatever it was? <laughs> and the professor like called me out and I'm dropping F-bombs like, I don't freaking know this. I, I just was reading. And all these kids are like looking at me because they're all like high school kids. Just, you know, like, what the heck? It's like, oh, crap. I got to like, I got to watch myself. Got in trouble, like screaming the F-bomb at practice at Otterbein once, like trying to get scout team guys. It's still a problem when I'm at college level. I was like, oh crap, scout team is a pain in the butt there too. Yeah. And like, oh my coach Dow, the head coach, he like gave me the death stare. I'm like, oh man, I'm in trouble. So just trying to like adjust to life it was probably the biggest adversity. And especially into the coaching world. Like I really had to be careful of you know, the yeah. things I said and and whatnot because we're not in the military anymore. And right. I can only use that excuse for so long. Like, <laughs> and that so that growth to just be a better and, and say better person because the situation dictates what's going on and so I had to just change my ways a little bit for that so I would say that was probably like the number one adversity is just understanding like I'm not in the military anymore right coach you as we've talked about already you've coached on offensive side of the ball defensive side of the ball running backs coach in college Um, do you have any aspirations to be a head football coach yeah, um, absolutely. I think uh, I would love to, to see if I can create that culture and winning program somewhere. Um, I think a lot of guys get stuck on like, I want to be a head coach. So what's the path to being a head coach? Where uh, I'm kind of taking the approach of like, just when it presents itself at well, um, just keep being a good coach. And if, you know, things happen that way, awesome. Um, if not, then, you know, so be it, just be the best at what I'm doing right now. Um, I look, you know, every off season kind of, Hey, what kind of jobs are out there? Sure. And there's been a couple jobs that like, maybe I could have applied for, but you know, I'm, I'm not moving my family. Like, again, my wife does extremely well for herself. So I'm not moving her from this area. I mean, she's got clients that are like, do extremely well for themselves. Like CEO of like national chain restaurant, like fast food restaurants, right. the CEO of that. I'm like, okay, like we're not leaving your business. So, you know, it's, there's a certain area of places I can even contemplate trying to be the head coach at. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I want to, to take on that challenge. Um, I, I think I'd be good at it, but you know, or else I wouldn't be thinking about that stuff. Sure. Um, so it's just it's the right fit. I'm not trying to make it fit. It's going to come along whenever it does. Um, I, I'm keeping all these nuggets from all these coaches that I've talked to and, you know, keep things safe because if that opportunity does present itself, I want to be ready for it. Um, but hopefully one day, uh, I know, you know my wife and me have talked about it a little bit. I'm like, you know, that's, I'm already of that, that loyal botting guy all the way. If I'm a head coach. Like it's, it's going to go to that, that next level. Right. Uh, and so that's something that we got to be prepared for as a family too. And so, yeah, I, I want to do that one day. I hope it happens. Um, but I'm not chasing it. It'll come after me if I just keep working really hard at what I do now. Right. And eventually it probably won't, you know, pop up for me. Absolutely. Coach, I want to give you the opportunity right now to send a positive message to all of our military members, all the men and women who are overseas right now, 
and just to everyone that uh, who fights for us every single day. So, Coach, the floor is yours. Oh, man, put me on the spot. Hey, uh, you know, I think the, the biggest thing with the military, especially, and I kind of mentioned this, you know, getting out of the military, it, it's uh, it's hard for a lot of vets to, to deal with getting into that civilian world again. Um, I've unfortunately had a couple of buddies that um, have decided that, you know, it's too difficult and they've taken their own lives because of it. Um, and, you know, it's, there's always a way to, to get through it. There's always people out there to talk to. Um, I, I was a part of a group that kind of flags all these different like social media posts and whatnot. If they see something out there that's kind of uh, alarming, we would get in contact with them and whatnot. And so I think the first thing is just like, there's always somebody to be able to talk to uh you know my information will be up on this now so reach out to me if you need to uh, because the things we've done not everybody's able to do um and not everybody will understand it but you know it, it's easy to be able to to work past it if you have the right person to talk to so um don't forget the great things that we have done i mean i i hate you know talking about my military service because i'm just one of those like humble guys about it um, my wife and mom will be like, Hey, I think they give a military discount here. I'm like, and we're going to save like a dollar 50 on an oil change. Like who cares, you know, but it's okay to, to be proud of what you've done. Um, cause we've done some crazy stuff over the last 20 some years in this war on terror. Um, and so I think you, you have the right to, to be proud about that and, and just know that there's other people that have gone through it and, and they're willing to help out with that transition i think that's the the number one message in this day and age that we got to get out to, to vets and to everybody understanding that you know the veteran community like there's a little bit of a struggle with people kind of dealing with um anxiety and and, and yeah. the ptsd yeah. issues and, and the transition in the civilian world it's rough sometimes for people so i mean everybody understanding that can, can help uh with that situation so i think that'd be the number one thing i would kind of throw out there to the service members and just every the, anybody you know right. they're allowed to be proud of what they did but that doesn't mean that they are always going to be able to keep their head held high and and, and go on like they need some, they need some support too sometimes absolutely coach as we near the end of the show i always ask uh who is coach roberts for listeners and viewers who might not know you who is coach chris roberts Oh, man, I would say uh, a passionate, driven, loyal, family-oriented guy who uh, I just love helping, you know, not just in football, but Coach Roberts is a guy that's, you know, I'm trying to help mold the, the next generation of leaders and community members, um, not just through football, but it's one of the reasons I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, I want to help mold that future generation. I mean, we kind of say it jokingly, but it's true. Like the kids in high school right now are at some point in time going to be taking care of us when we're old and decrepit. Like, so make sure they can do that, the job, whatever it is, and just be good people. So uh, I'm a passionate, loyal, driven person who just wants to, you know, leave what I have and leave it better than I found it. Absolutely. Coach, I thank you so much for your time, and I really appreciate your service uh, to, in the military and the Marine Corps, so I really appreciate you, and I uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. No problem, man. I appreciate you having me on. Like I said, you've had some legends on here. I'm just happy to be able to be involved in this in any way I can, so I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Absolutely. 
once again, uh, that's um, please listen. Go check out our new website. Uh, just launched this week, coachesapproach.com. Uh, continue to like, share, follow, subscribe, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find everything on our website now. It's all in one place. But that's going to do it for today's episode of the Coaches Approach podcast. Please tune in next week. As always, I'm your host, George Gresco, and we'll see you guys later. Welcome to the Coaches Approach, a podcast where we sit down with high school coaches and get the cold, hard facts about the high school coaching world. This is the Coaches Approach, where we talk X's and O's. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. This is The Coach's Approach, where we talk the X's and O's. Win the day or dominate the day. The choice is yours.